welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, and this is show number 60. That's right. This is show number 60, Education, Leadership, and Beyond. And uh, if you've been watching the show, this is a little bit of a different location. Um, and yes, we are on location. We are live here at the Hotel Fauchere in downtown Milford, Pennsylvania. And uh, it's a beautiful day. And uh, we decided to be outside. We are at the hotel of uh, the Milford mayor, uh, Sean Struve. I'm going to pronounce that correctly. Right. Struve, right? I don't want to get in trouble with the mayor. Um, but I decided to, to come outside here and get a sound and a feel of the community. Um, we're going to be welcoming in Sean uh, here in a minute um, here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond. I do want to welcome in Voice Ed Radio live from Canada. Uh, we are uh, on their system now, and I want to give a shout out to Stephen Hurley for setting that up for us. Uh, but now uh, Education, Leadership, and Beyond is going uh, international, and we are live in Canada on Voice Ed Radio. Excited to make uh, this relationship. Certainly check out uh, what they're doing at voiceedradio.com, and uh, you can reach out to them on the socials as well. Stephen Hurley uh, runs that. Looking forward to uh, this relationship. Additionally, today's sponsor is Catskill Marketing. Uh, I've recently uh, formed a par partnership with them. They're going to be helping with my website, some social media work, uh, things like that. And uh, Johnny Ilovansky, Ilanovaski, I'm mispronouncing that, Johnny. Um, and uh, uh, th they've been helping me out with some marketing things, your website, social media design, uh, all that kind of stuff. Check them out, catskillmarketing.com. Uh, you can also email them, info at catskillmarketing.com. Um, doing great work, and I'm looking forward to that relationship as well. So I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to be outside. Again, we're at the Hotel Fauchere, downtown Milford. And uh, when you really listen to the traffic, you didn't realize how much noise there is. But we're right on the street here at the Hotel Fauchere. Um, but I wanted to be in the community because today's opening topic is connecting with the community. If you're listening to this podcast as a school leader, um, you know how important that is. And if you're not a school leader and you're just someone in a position of leadership uh, or just a fan of the show, connect with the community. I write about that concept in here, page 47. It's tip number 38, connecting with the community here in my book, The Principle, Surviving and Thriving. And as principal of the neighboring school district, Port Jervis, right across the river in New York, I learned very quickly that the community is the school and the school is the community. And uh, when those two units can work well together, it's going to do great things for kids. It's going to do great things for the community. And uh, whether it's good things, positive things, fundraisers, uh, different events that are happening, when the kids can get involved in the school, uh, that's great. When it's negative things, when there's a death, when there's a flood, Right. We need one another and we have to help one another. So as a school leader, uh, it's very important to make that connection. Um, and I've had a, a lot of good experiences across the river, again, in New York and Port Jervis. Uh, for example, uh, I'm on I'm on the way to school. Uh, there's a pothole. There's a, a traffic disturbance. I see it, a big pothole. People were getting flat tires. I texted our mayor uh, in New York, Kelly Decker. He's not only the mayor, he's a school teacher. He responded right back and by the uh, at dismissal time, the pothole was already fixed, right? 
And I was able to do that because I knew the mayor. I connected with the mayor. I had his cell phone. And uh, not only does he care about our school community, he certainly cares about the, the working community. We're going to meet Mayor Sean Strube here of Milford, Pennsylvania in a moment. And uh, we're going to talk about a variety of things. But uh, I asked around, I asked the school community, hey, can you tell me about your relationship with the, the Milford mayor here at Delaware Valley Schools? And they couldn't say enough good things about uh, Sean and, and, and the work he does with the school community. Invites uh, the kids to be part of uh, different council meetings. Uh, invites the school district to speak at different things. Um, and we're going to talk about our Readers and Writers Festival coming up here uh, in the next couple of weeks and uh, what Sean has done to to promote that in the community and, and uh, in the school community. But uh, when I asked around and I asked a lot of people, uh, they were very, very um, uh, positive about our mayor here in Milford and, and the work that Sean does. And I'm going to ask them that question. You know, the school is the community and the community is the school. And what does that mean to him? So. The opening concept today, again, education, leadership, and beyond. Uh, put in that hashtag, hashtag ELB. And uh, on Twitter, you can find me, Andrew Morata21. Um, as a leader, right, the importance of connecting with your community, knowing the important people, knowing the police chief, knowing the mayor, and uh, being able to make connections with those people to best serve your school and best serve the community. Um, and I think that's a very important concept, and uh, uh, I think it's something you know that school leaders need to do. So I talk too much, and uh, let's get this set up here. I'm going to welcome Sean in here. Sean, let's get comfortable here. It's a little tight, squeeze in. And uh, I use some mouthwash, and I got some breath mints here too. Let's get you on here. Do I need these or not? That's up to you. Uh, I'm, I think I'm yeah, fine. Can you, yeah, that's up to you if you want to wear them. Welcome to the program. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. I'm going to turn this towards you. Uh, make sure we can get this out. Um, this is Sean Strube, everyone, uh, Mayor of Milford, uh, Pennsylvania. And I uh, really appreciate you making the time to uh, come on. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks. Yeah. So, Sean, I uh, did some research and, and some background check on you. And we might need like a 24-hour marathon to, to, to get it all in there. I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of things here, but you have some amazing stories uh, and the work that you've done in your life and the work that you've done since you've got here to Milford. So let's start with how did your journey, how did you arrive in Milford, Pennsylvania? An uh, ad in the New York Times. Um, the, in the mid 90s, I had been uh, very ill and my health came back and I, um, I, I wanted to get out of the city. I wanted to have a weekend place where I could kind of be a little quiet and sort of contemplate my, my future. And so my partner and I started looking, uh, and actually the first day we opened up the New York Times Sunday Magazine and looked at the back pages, and there was an old hunting camp that was advertised. I didn't even recognize the area code. I didn't know where Milford, Pennsylvania was, but it said 75 miles away, which is pretty close to New York. Not bad, right? And that was in October of 1996. We drove up here that afternoon and just immediately fell in love with the place. And our weekends quickly turned into longer and longer, and so we moved up here. Yeah. So, and uh, um, you've been mayor since when? So how long? Been mayor been? about two and a half years. Okay. Um, our mayor had resigned, and so the council needed somebody to complete the term and asked if I would do it. And then last year I ran for a four-year term and was elected. Fantastic. And I know you're doing great things. Uh, Sean, you heard the opening concept about connecting with the community, connecting with schools. 
you know, what do you think about that? And, and, well, and you know, why is that an important thing to you? Because I know it is. Right. So as you were speaking, I started thinking about the different ways in which the work that I do sort of intersects with the school uh, district. Um, and it's in a variety of ways. You know, first and foremost, we hire a lot of local students. Uh, we're very often their first job. Um, at any given time, we probably have a dozen uh, high school students from Del Val you know, working here at the hotel. Um, uh, so that's one thing. But then there are other ways we interact with school. I've been so involved in the festivals and, and you know, helping to create a real cultural vitality in the community. And from the very beginning, 20 years ago, 19 years ago, when we started the Black Bear Film Festival. More recently, when we started the Readers and Writers Festival three years ago. We always wanted to build a component into the festival that engaged and involved young people. Um, and that has paid off in some spectacular ways. We, a couple of years ago at the Black Bear Film Festival, we showed a feature film, an independent feature film, but a major release uh, that had been co-written uh, by uh, a young man who, when he was 13 years old, started volunteering at the Black Bear Film Festival and got interested in the industry and got an internship and met some people through that. So we're kind of proud of that. Um, with the upcoming Readers and Writers Festival, um, on the opening night, we're having a screening of To Kill a Mockingbird, the 1963 film of the famous uh, uh, novel. And Mary Badham, who played Scout in the original film, she was nominated for an Academy Award, she's going to be here and talk after the film about that whole experience. And of wow. course, you know, every high school student reads To Kill a Mockingbird. Sure. We sure. reached out to the superintendent of our school district, John Bell. He communicated with the English teachers and English department, and so we have a bunch of students that are uh, going to be coming to that and enjoy that, you know, experience not just the film, but speaking to somebody who's so central to it. Um, uh, the, you know, and then, uh, you know, today it was the Delaware Valley uh, Varsity Soccer Club. <laughs> we're also asked for donations all the time, uh, and we are very happy to do that. You know, I. One of the things in my sort of activism in, in, in Pike County and in Milford community, um, you know, we were an area that was growing very rapidly for a while. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes, you know, people say, oh, Sean, you're trying to get more city people to move here. You're trying to get more artists to move here. You're trying to get more of this, that, or whatever. The characteristic I'm looking for that I want this community to attract is people who want to be engaged in a community. People want to be engaged in a community life. Um, and uh, we've done that, we've facilitated that, we've opened up our council meetings, we have greater communication and transparency. Um, our town parks, our facilities, we've put a lot of effort and we're seeing much greater utilization, all sorts of people, but including young people in the community. Um, and, you know, just because young people don't vote, it doesn't mean they shouldn't be a priority because when we look at this community, we want it to be somewhere that young people can grow up and choose to stay here if they want to instead of having to leave because there aren't any jobs here, but because they don't have the kind of emotional investment. They don't feel valued and treasured by this community when they're growing up. Yeah. Uh, then they won't have the same kind of commitment and caring for it. So, um, uh, you know, that's just a, a central part to almost everything I'm involved with locally. Yeah, and it's great to hear that. Sean, we are live on Voice Ed Radio. We're also on iTunes, but we're also on Facebook. So don't be afraid to look here okay. and, and, let, and let people see you. Um, but that's am great. Am I getting cut off? Here? No, we're right? in this no, one. Okay, okay, we're in this right. one. So we got you, <laughs> man. You're looking good. The Fauchier is looking good behind you. Uh, and again, I appreciate you letting us uh, record here. It's a little more humid than I thought it was going to be today, but 
uh, again, again, glad to be outside. Sean, that, it's great to hear again what you're doing for the schools, and they couldn't say enough positive things. Um, talk to me about those festivals, right? Sure. You, you've you've brought so many of them here. Where do those ideas come from? And 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 each one seems to be a little bit different, but you know, just right. just booming. Well, I mean, the the ideas are not difficult, right? Film festival, readers and writers festival, music festival, dance festival. Um, uh, so the the idea is cheap. You know what is what is tough is to find the people who put the effort into really creating something because it takes a lot of work. We want something is up and established. It becomes a little bit easier when you have a base of, of supporters and so on. Uh, and uh, and each of one started kind of in a different way. But what every one of them has is a few people who either live in the area, uh, maybe they have a weekend home in the area, or they're really interested in that arena, right? So with the Readers and Writers Festival, we reached out to some of the book clubs. We reached out to the library. You know, there are people who say, sure, you know, they love the idea of it. We see a little bit of direction, kind of get these groups together and find a few volunteers to can get going. Uh, same with the film festival. Uh, you know, the film festival, for years, we did a whole student film program. You know, lots of people love the movies. And we, you know, start them modestly. You know, this year was the first year for our dance festival. Uh, and a really terrific woman who lives in Bingman's Ferry who teaches contemporary dance mm -hmm. and has a small dance company. She knew lots of people in the dance world. And so she created a weekend and she invited these other small dance companies to come to Milford. A lot of them were put up in people's homes, you know. Uh, you know, listservs and the internet is a, an incredible organizing tool. Sure. Social you media? Know, yep. We have... Uh, um, uh, local listservs of the merchants and of people involved in historic preservation and community things and whatever. And, you know, when something I'm involved in and some of the other people I work with, when we're stuck, we need something. Uh, uh, we'll post it up on the listserv or put it on Facebook or tweet it out. And it's amazing the resources that come forward when they're just given the opportunity and asked. Yeah, yeah. Sean, uh, and I'm looking forward to the Readers and Writers Festival coming up. And, uh, you know, it was so uh, awesome to, to release the book last year and that. And uh, we're going to get to your bit, uh, book in a minute. But, Sean, I, I got here businessman, mayor, author, playwright, politician, Georgetown grad, uh, magazine. Uh, you started a magazine, the Ciro Project, the Ciro Project. I, I mean, really, like, I, I was really blown away. Uh, researching and learning about you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your start in politics? Sure. I loved reading about the, uh, sure. the elevator job. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, and, first, and that journey in politics. First one, uh, I didn't graduate from Georgetown. I went there for a couple of years okay. and enjoyed it, but I was much more interested in working on Capitol Hill than going to school on the great. I didn't get uh, to that part of the so book. You so. haven't got there yet, so I transferred to Columbia. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, my start in politics was... Um, uh, I grew up in Iowa City, Iowa, which was a university community. And in the 60s and 70s, of course, it was very, you know, politically uh, active with the Vietnam War, the civil rights movement, women's movement. Uh, and I sort of grew up in that environment uh, and was just exposed to it. It was just sort of part of, of the life in the community. I was fortunate to live in a community where there were a lot of people who were engaged in political endeavors and activities, and you know, it was seen as, you know, as something important and a priority. Um, I also think that, you know, at that time, you know, not even being able to put a name to it, but knowing that I was different, was before I sort of, you know, 
figured out that I was gay and came out and thought something. Uh, as an outsider, uh, I guess I think that made me more interested in politics. It made me, you know, some level look for a process to uh, help make lives better for people, including myself. Uh, and so I started volunteering in campaigns. And um, you know, cam political campaigns tend to be very welcoming enterprises. Sure, we can have you stuff envelopes or knock on doors or look up phone numbers or whatever. And, um, and then from there, uh, I found out about an opportunity to become a page in the Iowa State Legislature. And so I applied for that. And uh, as a 16-year-old, I did that. And then I uh, uh, was really interested in politics. So I went to Georgetown to, to, in order to be in Washington and had an internship with a senator on, on Capitol Hill. And, uh, uh, and then the famous elevator job that you've read about in my book. Uh, should I tell well, you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, and, and we're going we're gonna to talk about Sean's book here, uh, Body Counts, and it's a story of his memoir. And uh, um, I mean, it's just great stories. Yeah. But before you get to that, sure. I, I got to tell you, as a rookie writer, <laughs> your opening chapter of the, when you were in St. Patrick's Church, and you talk about the feelings of the Catholicism and, and the gay and, 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 and going up for communion. I mean, I, I was like holding my breath here because <laughs> you talk about, it was, it's an amazing. So this is, again, this is Sean's uh, book here. Uh, it, it, it's fantastic. I'm only, only the first quarter of the way through and I apologize. If I can do no, it's but uh, I mean, really, you, you know, we learn in English class about your opening to get the reader. You do that in this book for sure. Sorry. Well, Sorry. I have to credit my editor, uh, Nan Graham at Scribner, for that. Uh, when she was reading through it, she says, That's your prologue. Yeah. She says, Start with that. Yes. So, yeah. Um, she was right. Uh, uh, so, well, the elevator job. Yeah. Talking about yeah. I talked about the book. So, when I moved to Washington, uh, I was interning in uh, the senator's office, Senator from Iowa. And, um, and, I was actually then, by then I was 17, so I was too old to be a page in the U.S. Senate, but they had jobs in the mailroom and jobs operating the elevators. They're all hand-operated elevators back then. So uh, I had a part-time job running an elevator in the U.S. Senate, and my elevator was uh, only for senators and their guests. So all day long, I can still, I think, name every one of them senators who were serving yeah. in 1976. It was also during the summer of the bicentennial, so there were a lot of uh, dignitaries and heads of state and you know, people visiting the Capitol and visiting yeah. the Senate. Um, uh, and it was just, it was a lot of fun. You know, it was kind of like you were totally on the inside. You know, you saw everybody. And back then, you know, security was a little bit different. So, uh, you know, if the Senate was in session late, you know, we'd have to stay on our elevators, the five or six of us on the elevator, sometimes to one or two in the morning. And uh, uh, I guess enough time has passed that I can dispose some mischievous <laughs> things. But uh, if we really wanted to go home, we knew how to get into the, what they call it, the engineer's office, way down deep in the bowels of the Capitol, and turn up the thermostat in the Senate chamber. <laughs> It'd be getting hot up there, and then a call would come down to the, 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 the night porter or whoever was in charge and say, Check the thermostat. It's really hot in the chamber. But we were convinced that would always get them to get their get work done and go home yeah. early. Um, uh, uh, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, but you learned you learned a lot about politics. You learned a lot about yourself um, and and the stories that came from there. It was just amazing. Well, one of the things you really learned is how much of getting anything accomplished 
in public office uh, really comes back to relationships, being able to work with others, uh, learning to disagree without being disagreeable, uh, having respect for people whose opinions differ from your own. Uh, and, um, you know, and back then, things were not as polarized or as partisan as they were now. Yeah. You know, now you see you know, Republicans vote this way, Democrats vote this way, and oh my God, if somebody you know, breaks ranks, they're like a traitor and kicked out of their party. Uh, that wasn't the case back then. You know, uh, back then you had uh, some Republican members in the Senate who were some of the greatest leaders on civil liberties and even on the environment. Uh, and you had Democratic members who were very, very, you know, aggressive hawks and with positions that would be considered very conservative today. Um, you know, they weren't all one thing, you know, and so you had this constant kind of shifting of alliances. They had work, you know, you know the guy you're disagreeing with today may be the one you're agreeing with tomorrow. And I think that's one of the th reasons why um, the passing of Senator John McCain affected the country so strongly. Yeah. Um, he's a Republican. I didn't vote for him. But he was of that old school where you found where you could work with people. You know, one of his close friends in the Senate was a liberal Democrat from Wisconsin, Russ Feingold. And they were allies in uh, promoting campaign finance reform. You know, something that everybody in both parties, you know, most most of the country thinks we need to do something. There's too much money in thought. We need to do something different. So McCain and Feingold worked on this bill. And, and you know, that was one of their things. So, you know, uh, and there's some other examples today, but not a lot. You know, usually, you know, they're just told to stay within your own party caucus, and we have to get past that. And I think that getting past that as a country uh, starts with getting past it with your neighbors at the local level. You know, Milford is a majority Republican town. It went pretty heavily for Donald Trump. And, you know, and here I am, an openly gay guy living with HIV, who's a pretty radical leftist Democrat. Uh, and yet they elected me in a very hotly contested race. Um, and, you know, it's because here at a local level, people didn't think of me first as a Democrat or something scary. They thought of me as a businessman. They thought of me as a neighbor. You know, uh, they knew me uh, and they knew that my interest was in what would be best for this community. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a Democratic or Republican way to pick up the garbage or <laughs> police the streets. Which, you see, the which you're seen doing often. Seen, right, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I really believe that, that, you know, that if we are to change this dynamic, this highly polarized uh, dynamic, you know, at the federal level and in media, uh, it starts with us individually in our own, you know, communities. You know, and that doesn't mean I don't get mad or upset or I just can't understand how somebody else can believe that way or vote that way. Um, but I can still respect them for their opinion and as a neighbor uh, and as a part of a community where we're working together for the same things. Yeah, and that's great to see that in this community and it's great to hear that from you as the mayor. Sean, you mentioned about uh, having HIV, and, and, and I know you go into it in the book, and I haven't got there yet, but I know, you know the word, if you look it up, was near death. You were very ill. You know, since returning from that and, and being healthy, did your outlook on life change after that experience that you, know, you were going to yeah. do some good things with your life? I mean, I don't think anyone can come you know, very close to death and then not have a somewhat different perspective in life. You know, um, you know, first of all, just the sense of gratitude of surviving, uh, particularly in contrast to you know, having known so many people who didn't. 
and it's not because you know I was any smarter or something. I mean, luck is an enormous, enormous part of it. Uh, there are other privileges that good access to healthcare and things like that. Um, so one is is gratitude and uh, and some level of humility, um, uh, but also, uh, and this is what as you get further in the book, but more to, is you know, I really see how uh, the, the the vast majority of the loss and suffering from the AIDS epidemic it could have been avoided. It was not inevitable. Um, had we had uh, uh, more courageous and informed and better political leadership at the time, uh, had we had a, a, um, a society that was not as biased and bigoted and discriminatory and in some cases really hateful towards gay people, um, it could have been avoided. And, you know, there, this is not the last uh, virus that is going to, you know, come out and wreak havoc on, on the world. Uh, there will be other epidemics of various kinds. And uh, I think that, that what many of us who have survived and have remained engaged in, in social justice work and, and progressive public health work and so on, um, we want to change the system uh, so that something like this does not happen again. You know, more people, uh, you know, the Vietnam War was right an incredibly bloody war. 58,000 Americans were killed in it. Um, uh, 12 or 13 or 14 times that have died of AIDS in the U.S. Um, just in terms of scale. You know? um, yeah. Uh, and so uh, I guess to get back to your question in terms of what you learn, you learn sort of develop gratitude, you learn some humility. Um, but in my case, I really learned that in order to avoid this happening again, it's going to take a lot of effort of a lot of people to change some sort of fundamental things about how we approach public health, how we deal with people who are different from us, and, and how we protect people's rights. So that's the, the work that I've continued since then. And some of those things are two different projects that you got going, the Pause Magazine sure. and the uh, Cero Project. Um, you know, Pause Magazine, why don't you tell us what, what's the Pause, intention there? Pause Magazine. So. And did you found that? You I did. It? I did. Um, in the late 80s and the early 90s, uh, I was diagnosed when the HIV test came out in 85. But at that time, everything in the media about AIDS was inevitably fatal, dread disease, no survivors, no cure, terminal illness, 100% mortality. Um, it was like the even the possibility, no matter how remote, the possibility of survival had been taken away from us. And Yet, as deadly as it was, um, uh, I always believed someone was going to survive it. You know, the most fatal forms of cancer are like 96% fatal, 4% survival, one out of 25 survival. Not great odds, but I always thought there was a possibility that someone would survive. And then while I was reading all this, these death sentence messages in the media, I was surrounded by a lot of people who also had HIV, who were leading incredibly vibrant and exciting and satisfying and fulfilling lives, even while managing a, a life-threatening illness that was going to kill many, if not most of us. And so I saw this kind of disconnect between the epidemic and the media and what I saw in my life in New York. And, uh, and part of that was because I 
lived in a city where there was a, a, a large community of people with HIV in close proximity. So I wanted to create a, a publication that would sort of counter that story in the, in, the, in, in the mainstream media about this inevitable death sentence. So I created a magazine. I just went out to friends and people I knew who were uh, uh, had HIV but were still raising their children or creating their art or opening a business or engaged in advocacy or whatever it was that they were doing and started telling their stories really as an example for other people with HIV, especially people who were isolated, who could not be public about their status, or they're geographically isolated, they couldn't go to meetings and meet other people sure, with HIV. Sure. And so that was the idea of the magazine. And then we also started providing treatment information because, and this is I think true with, with any kind of serious health condition, um, that first of all, particularly with something new and you know, there's a lot unknown about it, you can go to two expert doctors and get really different advice, right? And it isn't necessarily because one doctor is right and one doctor is wrong. It's just that there are different approaches. And, sure. and when you don't know a lot, you can go to experts. But people trust someone else who is in the same situation, who has the same condition. And, uh, and early on, we recognized that people with HIV were getting a lot of their information about what to do about this opportunistic infection or this side effect or symptom or whatever from other people with HIV. It doesn't mean they were necessarily expert informed, but they could talk about their experience. Sure. You know, this is what happened to me. This is how I did with it. And so that was the idea with Paz magazine. Paz is a sort of colloquialism for HIV positive. positive yeah. And uh, but also double entendre for thinking positive, being positive, taking nice. control. Um, and so we use the, the magazine to help people share their stories of how, uh, how they were coping. And the magazine grew. It's now, uh, uh, I'm now a contributing editor or something to it, but I uh, sold it about 10 years ago. Um, and it, but it now is the largest independent information source for people with HIV anywhere in the world um, and has a huge audience. So uh, after I uh, stepped out of pause, um, mentioned the Cerro project, um, I really became interested in helping to organize people living with HIV and people living with other kinds of chronic conditions so that they can speak with a collective voice, so they can be heard uh, and be at the table when decisions were being made about policies and programs that would so profoundly affect their lives. So with uh, some other people with HIV, we formed the Cerro project Sero uh, from the, the Latin word for serum for blood. Uh, uh, it's a network of people living with HIV. Um, uh, I think our slogan is fighting for freedom from uh, uh, stigma, discrimination, and, and criminalization. And um, so that's now been eight or nine years. And uh, our work is both around helping get people with HIV connected with other people with HIV, forming networks. Sometimes they're recreational or social, other times they're advocacy oriented or education oriented. And then specifically combating what we view as the most extreme manifestation of stigma, which is what's called HIV criminalization, when the states make laws, that, criminal laws that only apply, apply to people with HIV, kind of creating this viral underclass in the law. Uh, so that's been my major uh, advocacy focus uh, uh, in the epidemic over the last few years. Your work. 
and your journey is 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 an it's an amazing story. Um, and again, a lot of it. I'm looking forward to reading this book, Body Count, Sean Screw. Sean, let's bring the conversation back to your leadership. You know, you're a leader as mayor. You're a leader in, in the, the the advocacy work. You're a leader here at the in your businesses. Tell me about your leadership style and, and you know. Where did you learn that, and, and you know, what is your style as a leader in these roles? Um, well, I mean, I like to hear from everybody, and, uh, and you know, I try and find ways for more people to have their voice heard. Um, and that isn't just about calling a meeting and then, oh, you know, 10 people show up and three people do all the talking. You've got to be more proactive than that to sort of create the opportunity and draw other people to get them engaged and, and, and their voices heard. Um, uh, so, so that's one is sort of maximizing that kind of participation and input. Um, uh, another is really having confidence and faith that um, uh, that transparency leads to better outcomes. Uh, oh, the like that, you know, in, in, whether it's reading a borough ordinance or council or whatever it is we're doing, uh, I'm not a big fan of getting it all, you know, kind of prepared behind the scenes and then da da, there it is, and oh no, it's too late to change anything. You know, I, I like a slower approach where you get people involved in the community and you address the issues and the concerns that come up and you kind of build support uh, in coalition for something. Um, you know, every time we have uh, an appointment from the borough council, like this recently this week, we had a council member resigned actually, so it's a council appointment. But there are other appointments to uh, our water authority, our planning board, our zoning board. Um, I'm always saying, you know, who are the new people? How can we get other people, you know, involved? Last year during my campaign, I knocked on almost every door in the borough. And in the process, I met like maybe a dozen couples we're all fairly young in their 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, early 40s, with young families or about to start a family. And most of them had only been here within the last two or three or four years. They didn't know each other. Yeah. Several of them commented on they felt like it was hard to get to know people here because uh, they're working in New York and New Jersey. They're commuting back okay. and forth. And unless they're, you know, part of a faith community or something, how do you get to know people? Other than your immediate neighbors, you know, from the 403 Broad. Well, right, exactly, right. well, that's one. So that was a, uh, and so uh, uh, that kind of intrigued me. And I thought these are like really into these are people who want to be here and to build their families and be sure. part of this community. So I had a dinner uh, after the election uh, here at the Delmonica Room at the Hotel Fochere, and about 25 people, and almost none of them knew anybody else. But they were all kind of like delighted because they're all kind of new to the community and they got to it. So then uh, we have a, a, an event that's a tradition in Milford uh, called the Welcome Party. Okay. And every June for the last 15 or 16 years, um, the third Saturday in June, we have a party. It's called the Welcome Party. It's held outdoors under a tent in a private home here in the borough. And the idea of it was to welcome back seasonal residents because we're a resort community and Lots of people are only here in the summer, as well as welcoming new people to our community. Um, and and the idea was, you know, bring these new people here and get them involved in yeah. things. 
And I describe it a little bit like uh, almost like a fraternity or a sorority rush party because you have all these new people. Then you have the library, the historical society, the preservation trust, all the nonprofit groups, the, the domestic violence organization, because they're there looking for new volunteers and new donors and new supporters. And these are new people in the community are kind of looking to get connected. You know, they're interested in volunteers. Mm -hmm. We'll meet some people. We'll get to know this time. And it's been a, it's been a big success. And so we're now we started it out having like the co-chairs of it being kind of the, some of the community stewards and people have been here a long time and everybody knows and so on. And that was important. We've kind of gone through a lot of this. So now we're going together and we find new people say, would you like to co-chair the welcome party next year? And so we had uh, five of these couples co-chair it this year and other five are going to co-chair it next year. And it brings sort of new energy and they get to know a lot of people in town. And, uh, uh, and I think that creates a stronger community when people know each other. You know, that's why like the parks I mentioned before, the public spaces are important. You know, having public space where the community can congregate. You can come over here to our Ann Street Park right now. And a few years ago, six o'clock on a Saturday evening, there might not even be anybody there at all. Uh, now there'll be some kids playing basketball in the basketball court. Mm -hmm. There'll be uh, young families with little kids playing on the swing set and the, the you know the the, uh, the, the playground equipment. Uh, there'll be older couples, just you know, retired people, just sitting there watching people. Once in a while, you'll see a couple of people playing chess. You'll see, you know, teenagers holding hands and flirting. And I love that having that public space and really prioritizing it because that is part of what makes a strong community. And and that's what we've been doing in Milford, not just in the parks. But all this work along our sidewalks. I realize your viewers can't see this, but we're sitting right here, so you can see it. You know, the, the whole curb and sidewalk going down Broad Street here. Sure. <laughs> a, a few years ago, a lot of places, there were no sidewalks. So it was a busted up blacktop or sure. a dirt path. Yep. Um, they weren't particularly safe. Uh, there was not pedestrian lighting at night. Um, and so we embarked on this campaign with the Milford Enhancement Committee with the support of about a thousand people around the, the county and area who contributed to it and state and federal grants to really invest in that, that hardscape, that streetscape, the town's infrastructure, the sidewalks, valuing pedestrians, beautiful, you know, making curb cuts so that you know people who are in wheelchairs can, can get around easier, putting in lighting so it's safer. And that has the benefit of not only making the town more attractive uh, and safer, uh, more pedestrian friendly, it's also good for our commercial district. It invites somebody driving through on Route 6 here. This looks like a cute place. Let's pull over and walk around. And you can do that. And there's parking, that there's free parking, and there's parking, and so you can that, always find a spot. That has been a big part of the, the renaissance of our commercial district and supporting the festivals is, is, is making the town uh, friendly to and prioritizing uh, pedestrians. Great stuff, Sean. This is great, and I, I, I am proud to be living in this community. Sean, we're up against the rapid fire portion. Sure. Is, okay. I'll do the quick, quick answers. answers. You're okay. on. You're on the uh, on the on the on the docket here. Um, hopefully, there won't be too many uh, difficult ones. <laughs> Last book you read? Um, the um, it's changing your mind or change your mind. Embarrassed. I can't remember. I know they got Jonathan. Um, it's all right. We're good. He wrote the uh, Change Your Mind. It is about uh, 
how uh, scientists are revisiting uh, psychotropic drugs, psilocybin and, and LSD, and using it for therapeutic purposes. Uh, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, Last movie you saw? Uh, oh, incredible. I just saw this weekend. Uh, uh, Black Klansman. Oh. That Spike Lee film. Heavy. Uh, New York Times said it's one of his best ever. It's best Spike. And a lot of Spike Lee's films, I, I, you know, don't capture me that much. This is amazing. I think everyone should see it. It's powerful, fast-paced, uh, historical, but it's a drama. Uh, strongly recommend. If we scroll through your iPhone, what type of music would we see or a favorite artist? Uh, you would uh, uh, think that I'm a freak because I have almost no music. No uh, music. I'm not. Uh, I'm not very musical. inclined. Oh. I joke that I must have been dropped on my head as a kid. I don't <laughs> dance. I don't listen to music much. I do have a little bit. I like Rufus Wainwright. Okay. I, like, I like folk music a little bit. So I'll give a plug for Rufus uh, uh, Wainwright. Biggest professional pet peeve. Um, uh, people who don't follow through. Take on more than they can handle. Um, uh, uh, Non-responsiveness to email drives me crazy. Oh, that drives me crazy. That drives me crazy. Uh, something that motivates you is uh, my family, my partner. I have a niece and nephew I'm especially close to. Uh, uh, and as I get older, I think I think you know a good part of my career. Those were kind of in second place, you know, as I really focused on my business and politics and the things that were driving me that way. But as I get older, uh, uh, family and friends part has definitely become, yes. become much more important. Perfect. Best thing about Milford, Pennsylvania? Uh, it, it's a community of people who are interested in engaging in a community life. Worst thing about Milford, Pennsylvania? Um, well, sometimes I would say the traffic. Uh, uh, I wish we had a university or a college closer mm. to us than we do. Um, but there aren't too many bad things about that. Good answer. Three most important qualities of a leader. Uh, patience, uh, integrity, uh, and ability to communicate clearly. Great answer. The thing that's going to get you in trouble either working at Hotel uh, Fauchier or 403 Broad, a restaurant behind us here. The thing that's going to get you in trouble the quickest. Uh, me or someone who no, works No, someone here? who works here. Oh, not being attentive to guests. Uh, you know, we want, when a guest is coming here, we want, when they walk through that door, to feel like they're in a different world where we've just been sitting all day there waiting for them to arrive. So a smile and greeting them and, uh, that is absolutely critical. And that, whether that is a housekeeper or a server or a busser or a dishwasher, that is fundamental. That's great to hear. And the same philosophy in education, right? Attentive to the guests, attentive to your students. That's great. Um, a short term personal goal for you, three to five months. Start going to the gym again. Mm -hmm. Bring my cholesterol down. Long term personal goal, three to five years. Keep going to the gym. There you go. Bring my cholesterol down. Okay. Um, is it the food? Is it in the genes? What is it? Where is the cholesterol coming? Where is that? Uh, it, it's both. I mean, I, you know, a couple of restaurants with a lot of really rich, incredible food, including a lot of really incredible French food, and I can't help myself. 
we uh, had a lot of cheese last night on 403 yeah, Road. It's, uh, 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 but it's mostly I don't exercise enough. That's a bigger problem than my diet. Okay. Well, let's get the mayor out walking here right. in Milford. Uh, Sean, we got the Readers and Writers Festival coming up. What's the best way if people wanted to gain information about that or the best way for people to connect with you and or uh, you know, learn more about Milford? What, what sure. would be those contacts? Um, the readers, Milford Readers and Writers .com. That's the site for the festival. We've got Alan Aldis, Susan Faludi, Judge Andrew Napolitano. We've got a lot of incredible writers. Big time liner. Big time liner. Um, uh, to reach me, I'm easy to reach. Just my name, Sean Strub, S-E-A-N-S-T-R-U-B at gmail.com. Milford, uh, the site that really is the site that's of the community and tells what's going on here, uh, milfordpa.us, milfordpa.us. Uh, in addition to the Readers and Writers Festival, we've got a terrific event on Monday, the Share of the Harvest event in St. Patrick's Parish Hall where we raise money for the uh, food pantry. On Saturday the 22nd, we have the Garpo Fire Auction. This is a first-time event to raise money for our garden club, our police department, and our fire department, so Garpo Fire. There you go. People all over the area have donated merchandise and antiques and art, and it's going to be kind of goofy and a lot of fun. I also uh, am an amateur auctioneer, the real rapid fire. So, oh, okay. so we have a professional there as well, but I'll be, I'll be doing a celebrity. I like that. Uh, so that's just this month. Then next month we've got the, um, uh, uh, the Black Bear Film Festival, oh, now in its 19th great. year. Yeah. We're having a, an Oktoberfest event. We've got a great Milford Safety Day. This is a, our police chief, Matt McCormick, is terrific. And he's organized a safety day that we're going to have in the park over here. So it'll be police departments and fire departments and the ambulance companies and so on, obviously. That's what we think when we think of safety. But also someone from the State Game Commission talking about boating safety. Someone from, we have a tick-borne disease task force about safety in terms of avoiding uh, ticks and Lyme disease. And like, all different kinds of safety. I think I might send one of our chefs over there to talk about how to use a knife safely. There you go. And it's a clever idea around safety. Great event for families and you've got fire trucks there. You know, so it's, I mean, it's, it's a really fun thing. So that's our cover up. So we just have almost every single weekend, we've got something going on. Boom. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sean Strube, uh, Mayor of Milford, Pennsylvania. Um, and today's book recommendation, uh, you know, Body Counts, it's uh, Sean's uh, memoir. It's a great story, and we met him today. I mean, there's so much. I, I'm going to add auctioneer to the list of, <laughs> list of things there. Uh, i got a quote to end the show here, and Sean's an example of it, bringing people together. If it is to be, it's up to me. Uh, and, and taking action in your role as a leader, taking action in your roles, uh, in life, he mentioned his family. Um, so um, a shout out again to today's sponsor, uh, Education Leadership and Beyond, Catskill Marketing. Uh, if you're looking for someone to market your website, social media help, uh, they've been a, a great help to me and uh, appreciate them sponsoring the show. And again, a welcome to Voice Ed Radio. I uh, see Stephen Hurley tuned in live today. So uh, we appreciate uh, being on in Canada today. Milford PA to, to Canada. Hey. Uh, Sean, I appreciate you uh, being on the show. Thank you right. very much, Andrew. We'll see everyone at the uh, Readers and Writers Festival. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and go out and change the world for the better. Let's connect on Twitter, Andrew Murata, uh 21 and uh, hashtag ELB Education Leadership and Beyond. Take care, everyone. Thank you.